Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke 5.17. I was going to tell you during praise and worship, if you ever want to rip off one of the flags on the walls and just come up here and start waving it, but the flags are gone, so you can't do that. But um, I hope you have freedom to worship God, and you don't feel like you have to worship God like somebody else worships God. Um, I pray that you would do it in whatever manner he would call you to that. But Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, we kicked off the DNA series January 1. Uh, This series is meant to remind us who we are and what we are about as a church, right? Every person is made with a unique DNA. God has gifted us differently and made us differently and called us to different things. And that's true for our church body as well. We have a unique church body. So who is the Willard Naz? That's what we want to look at. So we started off with week one and said, we need to be the branch. And it speaks to our position, right? We failed at being the vine. But Jesus stepped in and Christ came and he told us he is the true vine. So everything must flow out of that connection with Jesus Christ. And so we have to be the branch. Last week we talked about our posture. We need to be people that bow down in, in worship and empty the jar. People who pour it all out. Surrender everything to what he calls us to do, right? And this week we're moving on to purpose. What do we do? What are we about? Luke Chapter 5, beginning at 17, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? My friends, do you realize the tremendous gift we've been given through God's word? This is his revelation to us. Be in it, right? One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Friend, I'm sorry. The Pharisee and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, let us align ourselves and our lives to it to what you'd have us do. Lord, I pray that we would make it our true north, that we would revolve our lives around you. Father, don't let us get in the way. Don't let our wants and our desires, Lord, but only what you'd have. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. A little background to this, you'll find these, this story also in two other of the gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark. From Mark's account, we learn that this story takes place in a small town called Capernaum on the northern shore of Galilee. Uh, Jesus made this his, his home, his, his kind of base camp during his ministry after leaving Nazareth. Capernaum was the home of Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew, the former tax collector, also called Levi. They all dwelt there. This account takes place after Jesus has called his first disciples from here. Some scholars believe that uh, it may have even taken place in Peter's house. So if we picture the scene, right? Small town, lots of 
pickup trucks in this town, and, and they're at somebody's house, maybe Peter's. There are some other guests there, verse 17, right? And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Why did they come? These Pharisees and these teachers of the law were here to investigate Jesus. They had come to check this Jesus out because something very interesting happened had taken place before this. You see in the, in, in the previous story in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has just healed a leper. We read that and we just think, oh, that's Jesus just doing what Jesus does, right? He heals someone. But healing a leper was not something that happened, right? There is no record of a Jewish person with leprosy being healed from the time of the Mosaic law until this day. Why is this important? Well, because the religious leaders had separated miracles into two categories. The first category were, were those miracles that could be done by anyone empowered to by God. The second category of miracles, though, were meant for the Messiah. These were miracles that only God could do. Right? And there are three or four such messianic miracles. Miracles that the people could look at and know that this was the Messiah, the person who performed these, right? One of those miracles was healing a leper. The others were casting out a certain type of demon, healing a person that was born blind, and raising somebody from the dead after three days. They all related to the fallen nature of man. And, and I don't have time to really get into that, but Jesus does all four of these miracles, right? And every time that he did one, boy, it threw the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for a loop, right? Because he's fulfilling their messianic prophecies, their messianic miracles. And at the same time, it's calling out their hypocrisy, right? Because they couldn't take it in. Their pride got in the way of that got in the way of them seeing Jesus for who he was. So here is Jesus. He's healed a leper, and these religious leaders can't imagine this unknown carpenter, right? Jesus could be the Messiah, this unconventional rabbi with his ragtag group of normal people or even less than normal people as far as this society is concerned with. There's no way, right, this could be the Messiah. So they have to investigate this. Again, verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've heard the story a few times, and I'm sure you have as well. Because of that, when you, when you read it, you may oversimplify this. If you're like me, you might even t tell yourself, yeah, that's exactly what I would do in this situation. Here's the thing, though. Would we? Would we take this step of faith? We look at the story and we know who Jesus is, but they don't know exactly who he is. They've probably heard some stories or maybe they've seen some things about this rabbi who could supposedly heal people, right? They couldn't be sure. And yet they make this incredible decision that they're going to get their friend to Jesus. So packed house, bunch of religious leaders in it, standing room only. People are spilling out of all doors and manners of, of entrances, right? The Gospel of Mark lets us know that there were four men trying to bring their paralytic friend to Jesus. We don't know much about this group and who they were. What we do know about is the culture surrounding, though, this paralytic man, right? And this culture being a, a, a paralytic was extremely hard. At this time, there is no help, no government assistance like we enjoy today, no programs to help someone. 
unless you had a group of family or friends to depend on, you were really in trouble. You didn't have much of a chance unless you had a ride or die type of group of friends around you, you wouldn't have much hope. This man has these four friends, though, that were there for him. And I don't know what caused them to bring their friend to Jesus. I wonder if one of them was on a scene when they healed, when Jesus healed this leper, and he immediately thought, man, i got to get my friend to Jesus. I wonder how the man who was paralyzed would have felt about this, right? Think about this. Chances are he's tried some things. He's probably tried everything. I wonder how many times he's gotten his hopes up. Maybe this is the thing that will will help me. I wonder how many times it just didn't work out. I'm sure he didn't want to be disappointed again. I wonder if he didn't even really want to ask his friends to help him out in this endeavor, right? I mean, after everything that they must have already done for him, the idea of, of them having to carry him to this guy, that he doesn't really know all that about? I don't know. I might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, maybe even like a burden. I, I'd probably want to avoid public places, right? If you were paralyzed in this day, the religious system had it all wrong. And they said they would point to your disability and blame it on something either you did or something that your parents did. There's a lot of judgment. So I'm sure he would have wanted to avoid crowds, especially the crowds with religious people in there. And guess who's packed this house, right? I'm guessing he was reluctant, but I also know he had faith because verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, the men bringing this man and the man's faith, right? He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So purposed with faith, they arrive on this scene, right? And Luke tells us that they try to take him to see Jesus. The, the Greek verb for try means that they were trying hard, trying and trying and to find a way, but the doors are shut, right? The people will not let them in. They can't get in through the windows. The crowds are worse than that cedar point with that $100 season pass that they had in previous years. Verse 19, when they could not find a way, can we just stop there? Here's the question, right? question that I want us to wrestle with as a church. What do we do when we can't find a way, right? When the way doesn't seem to be there. What do you do when you know God has called you to something, but you just don't see that path to it? Put yourself in, in this group, right? All too often, People and, and myself and churches make a mistake when it comes to God leading or God's leading. Uh, when we're ready to start something or do something, all too often we look for the way, the path, the open door, and we base everything on that. We, we pray for it, right? If it's your will, open this door. If it's not, shut the door. Here's the thing, though. There's no open door in this situation right? There's no open door in this story. Too often we see closed doors and we think it's a sign to, to stop or we think it's a sign that it's not the right time for what God has called us to do and we wait for that door to open up, right? When God tells us to go and talk to that person, but there's a bunch of people around and we're like, mm, it's not the right time. We don't see an open door. Ah. Miss out. What do you do when you feel called to do something or when you're called to someone and there just doesn't seem to be that open door? You could go back home, right, and just try to justify yourself. Well, I tried, but I, I couldn't find a way. You could put it off until later. You can do it at another time when it's better, when it isn't so busy, right, when the conditions are better. Maybe next time we can catch Jesus alone. That's probably the responsible thing to do. Do you remember the disciples, though, when Jesus died and rose again and the disciples started their ministries and they started preaching and teaching, right? They were arrested in Acts 4.18. It 
It says this, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. My friends, that's a closed door, right? That's a closed door. What if they said, well, it's not your will for us to do this. You've closed the door, and they stopped. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. My friends, when the door is closed, sometimes we have to wreck the roof, right? In other words, we have to do something bold, something a little crazy. We've got to take a leap of faith. Can you imagine the conversation with this group of friends, right? They can't find a way, but one of them has an idea. There's always that one person in the group, by the way. That's a little bit nuts, right? If you don't know who that is, it's you. It's usually a diehard Browns fan. After years and years of disappointment, that changes you. Sometimes, but somebody in this group has this idea. Hey, let's go up to the roof. Why? Well, we're going to take the roof apart and lower our buddy through it so we can get him in front of this Jesus guy. When I really think about this, this doesn't seem to be a good plan. Luke makes this plan sound like they just moved some tiles and lowered him through it. Mark 2, 4, though, says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. In, in Palestine, in, in these houses that were common in this time period, they were built of, of, of stone with a flat roof. On, on top of that roof, they would have another room, right, where they would build these upper rooms. Uh, these were the places where Jesus would have the Passover meal with the disciples. They were built on top of the house, and so that, that roof for the house had to be able to support people walking on it and stepping on it. It had to be pretty sturdy. So I'm guessing these four men went upstairs, and when they, when they uh, found where they thought Jesus was, they had to dig through that roof, substantially dig through it, and lower their friend down. That was the plan. Like I said, to me, it just didn't sound like a good plan. For one, they don't know who really this Jesus guy is, how he's going to respond to this. Will he even be able to help them with their friend? Will he even be willing to do it, right? Number two, they're, they're going to have to wreck somebody's roof. They're going to have to pay for it. Are they going to get in trouble? What's this gamble going to cost them? Is Jesus going to get mad because he's interrupted, right? To interrupt a religious leader during a time of teaching? Uh, I don't know. What, what about the religious leaders in the room? What are they going to think? How are the crowds going to react? They're kind of jumping in front of them, right? They're, they're jumping in line. They're interrupting Jesus' teaching and their time. At the end of the day, though, and this is the big question, what if it doesn't work? They had to be thinking and wondering that. All too often, these are exactly the things that stop us from taking leaps of faith. Are we willing to wreck somebody's roof for a chance? As a church, what do we do when we can't find a way? If God has called us to something, right, we have to be people that are willing to wreck the roof. Taking that a little bit further, do whatever it takes. Right? Do whatever it takes to get one person to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's our purpose as this church, and that's what we have to be reminded at the start of this new year. It might be expensive for us. It might be impractical. It might be embarrassing. It might make people in here uncomfortable. People out there might think we're weird, right? That's okay. Let's wreck the roof, right? Wrecking the roof means we're going to have a bias towards action. We understand that there is a sense of urgency in what God has called us to do. And if God has called us to do something, he'll make the way, right? Calls us to be a part of that, though. Wrecking the roof means we have to innovate and look for new ways to do what needs to be done. We will try new things to reach people. We will go to difficult places. Why? Because it's our purpose, right? And this is what God has called us to do. Here's a warning, though, that I also want us to wrestle with. Verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. What got in the way? The crowd, right? 
we need to be careful that we're not the crowd. They're in the house taking notes, listening to the teacher, and they're doing the right thing, right? They're focused in on what, what Jesus is saying, but they're in the way of these men getting their friend to him, right? The problem is the crowd doesn't have any concern for them, for these men, right? Instead, they're too focused in on their experience in the house. What does that look like? It's when we care more about keeping things intact than we care about restoring lives that have been shattered, right? It's when we get more concerned about a mess being made than helping messy people. It's when we're more concerned about kids being loud than kids being here. It's when we're more concerned about things getting broken than people getting mended, right? One time this community had an adult and teen challenge. You remember that? I remember when I worked for the city, I still work for the city, but hearing that conversation when they wanted to come to this town. And I remember the people that didn't want them here. You remember that? I was thinking everybody knows Willard has a problem. Everybody knows every community has a problem with drugs and what would be better than having a teen challenge. Here's an organization that is, that is seeing people set free from drugs and addiction. Why, what a difference it could make. And they, and they come to know Christ through that, right? And some people didn't want that here because they were worried about what people would come here. Lord, let that never be anybody in this church, right? That's the crowd getting in the way. I I don't think anybody in here would turn somebody away, but if you're not willing to go to people, there might not be much of a difference. If you're not willing to make a mess in here or out there, right, or wreck the roof, we're just concerned about keeping things neat keeping our reputation neat we're going to miss out I want a pickup truck but I don't want one like Nancy's it's too nice right I want one that's beat up and bent up and and something that I can throw wood in the back of right and not worry about getting it roughed up. Similarly, I want a church that's a little dirty, a little bent, beaten up, not, not too pretty to come in here. I'm, I'm thank you that you give me pass to wear jeans, and I thank you that some of you guys wear jeans. You, you wear whatever God calls you to, but we've got a, a community that's in poverty, right? And I want them, when they come in here, to know that it's not about what they wear, Right? that they're welcome here. What's more important, our experience in here or going to the people? What happens when that new person comes to church? Is it, is it better for them to see the best music, the best-looking building, the best-looking, best-hearing sermon, the best programs for all different age groups? Or would it be better for them to see a, a, a church that's a little bit dirty because they're digging through roofs? in order to get people to Jesus, right? Are we willing to be inconvenienced? My friends, I want us as this church body to be focused in on what God is doing and what he has invited us to be a part of, not what we want to do. I want us, when he invites us into something, to not be people that mm, let a closed door stop us. I want to be a part of the group that wrecks the roof takes the leap of faith, right? I heard one of my favorite pastors, I listen to a lot of pastors, one of my favorite ones, though, tells of a story about a guy who came up to him, and this guy's name was Adam. Adam told this pastor that he had been prison, and when he went into prison, he had been illiterate, right? Couldn't read or write. While he was in prison, though, he met an inmate that was a follower of Jesus Christ, and that inmate offered to teach him how to read and write. He said, the only catch was we're going to do it through the gospel of Mark. So this inmate began to teach Adam how to read and write. By the time Adam was set to be released, not only did Adam learn how to read, but he also became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Adam went to this small church in this small town and was attending there. It ended up getting out, though, to this congregation who Adam was and what his past was. It upset some people in the church that Adam was there and allowed to be there. One of the prominent families in the church said to the pastor, hey, it's either him or us. Either you're going to have to ask him to leave or or we're going to leave. And the pastor explained to them that Adam was welcome there. And that family ended up leaving. A little while later, it looked like some more people were going to leave that church. So Adam was thinking at that time, maybe it would just be better for everyone if if he just left. Because he didn't want to create division or cause difficulty for that pastor. Then one day, when it, came, when it was all coming to a head, it was a Sunday night service, and after the sermon, the pastor asked Adam to come up front. Adam was thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm going to be asked to leave, right? So Adam went up there in, in front of the church, head down, embarrassed, ashamed. The pastor turns to him and says, hey, I want you to know that I've made an important decision since Adam has been released from prison. He's been having trouble finding work, had a hard time finding a job, and so I wanted to offer him a job to help take care of our church facilities. And the pastor reached into his pocket and pulled out an extra set of keys and gave them to him. He said, I know you're going to be needing this because you're going to be opening and closing the door and shutting the church up. Tears began to fall down Adam's face. And Adam said it was the first time in his life that he ever had a key to anything. He felt loved and he felt accepted. The really cool thing about this story is the pastor who I heard it from actually met Adam at a pastor's conference. And Adam had gone on to pastor that church. I love those types of stories. I love what God does in the hearts of man, right? How he can flip lives upside down. Those are the stories of why I'm here, because he's done it to me. And I want him to do that, do those things to you as well. And I want to see people come to know Christ and have their lives wrecked, right? I want to be a part of a church who goes after people who doesn't stop when the door closes, but we're willing to wreck the roof, right? Verse 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the, to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I imagine his friends all leaning down through the hole, right? They're probably hear Jesus say this, and maybe they're like, Jesus, you got the wrong thing going on. <laughs> we're not here for that, right? We're here for something else. He's paralyzed. That's the problem. Jesus, seeing their faith, though, said to this man, your sins are forgiven. In the great scheme of things, I know Jesus has compassion for this man and his situation, right, and what he's dealing with, but there's something exponentially more important. That's salvation. That has to be our our priority, right? Eternity with people. That has to be our priority. Salvation, reconciliation has to be our number one goal. Verse 21, but the Pharisee and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Last thing, take up your mat and go home. Why would Jesus tell him to go home? Can you imagine what it was like when he got home? Can you imagine that? Right? This man was not the only person that needed to be healed. Right? 
Could you imagine being this man's parents in this society with this stigma of guilt and shame? Right? They had to believe that they had sinned, that they had done something wrong to cause this. That's why their son was a, a, a paralytic, right? My, my daughter had to deal with something with her eyes for the longest time and still deals with it. But for many years as a parent, I felt responsible for that. What, what if I would have got her to the doctor sooner and noticed it sooner? It would have been an easier road for her. She had to deal with people staring, people asking questions and kids' comments and everything like that. I remember taking her to a healing service, right? I remember having faith and praying and asking God to to heal her. And I remember not not seeing that healing. More guilt, right? Don't you have enough faith? I know today, sometimes... Thorns stay, right? They're not removed. I know what God says. I know what he said to Paul. My grace is sufficient, right? I know that storms strengthen our faith, and this I issue will impact my daughter in a way that makes her stronger. But at the time, there's a lot of guilt. Here comes the son home, though, praising God. Mom, Dad, God's not mad at us, right? And it wasn't because of anything that you did wrong. You won't believe what happened today. Let me tell you about this man named Jesus, right? It's not just one person. When we go after one person, it has ripple effects through generations. It can at least if we allow him to work. Would you stand with me? My friends, don't you want to be a part of stories like these? We got to go after one person, right? What we can do can have an effect on generations. It's not what we can do. It's what he can do. He just calls us to be a part of it. You, you may think all you have is a hallelujah, right? What could we give a king? We can give our worship that causes us to bow down, and we can give our obedience because he will call us to do things, to carry on his work. And we can be a part of people being reconciled to God and knowing him, if we're not too busy, if we're not focused too much on our comfort, our wants, what, what do we want this church to be like and to look like, and I'm not happy with the color of this carpet, right? Or we can just be simply focused in on what he's calling us to do and wants to do. Would you pray for that? Pray for God to speak to you. Pray for God to call you. And when he does, don't let a closed door get in the way, right? It should align to God's word. It should align to God's character, right? We can test that. We can ask other believers, mature believers, what they think about it. But when God calls us to do something, trust that there's going to be a way. We just got to be bold and take a leap of faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, let us be a church that says, come as you are. Lord, let us be, pre- be people that go after people. Not necessarily to bring them to church, but to bring them to you. Give us opportunities to share the gospel message Give us opportunities to share our testimony, Lord, with the people out there. And then if they can, give us opportunities to be their church family. Lord, have your way. Guide us and direct us, Lord. We love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.